Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. All right. Do y'all know what today is? It's National Hot Air Balloon Day. <laughs> Honest, how many of you knew that? I only know that because I heard it on the radio on the way in this morning. It was like National Hot Air Balloon Day. That's interesting. But they, but they said that it was like one of those little, quick little um, things where they explained how a hot air balloon works. And they said the way a hot air balloon works is... Uh, there's a balloon that's filled up with hot air, and the reason it rises is because the hot air and the way it interacts with the cold air around it, it rises above the cold air on the inside of it. And I thought, gosh, that's kind of fitting for Pentecost, isn't it? We have this hot air, this flame, this fire inside of us that causes us to rise above the coldness of the world around us. Yes, sir. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's go home. <laughs> I mean, you know, it takes a preacher to figure out how to put a hot air balloon in a sermon. But, but, but it was, it was a, it's a picture, though, right? It's like, man, that is so cool that you almost seemingly defy the laws of gravity with heat. And, and, and I want you to hold that picture in your mind that you have a flame on the inside of you. And it is causing an environment on the inside of you that changes the way that the outside world affects you. Because that's what we're talking about, right? Now, Pentecost, um, we skipped ahead somehow. What Pentecost is pretty much means the 50th day. Uh, and, it, and it was related to the Jewish feasts. They didn't call it Pentecost. It was called Shavuot in uh, the Israeli culture. But it's, so it's the second of the three great Jewish feasts celebrated at Jerusalem early. Uh, it's the seventh week after Passover, and you know Passover is when we um, celebrate Easter also. Passover is when God, the tenth plague, came through Egypt to deliver the, the Jews out of Egypt, and it was the angel passed over, and if you had the blood on the doorposts, you were safe on the inside. And then 50 days later was the Feast of Shavuot, which happened to also be uh, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. We're going to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about baptism in the Spirit, maybe a little bit different way than you're used to. Um, but it meant something to them. So I think it's important that the last part of what that feast was celebrated, because, you know, God gave us all those feasts and all those traditions and all that ritual and all the, all the systems of the temple. All of that was for temporary atonement for the Israelites but it all pointed to Jesus. And all of that stuff was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Amen? Everything that you read about that God instated with, the, with ancient Israel ultimately had its completion in Christ, even this. And so I, I like this here. It says, it was in grateful recognition of the completed harvest. And that just kind of stands out to me. It makes me think about this. This is a, a, a statement about Jesus. It says, for he whom God sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Say, without measure. Without measure. Jesus gives the Spirit without measure. 
So when you receive the Spirit, you get all of it. You don't get a part of it. You don't get some gifts and then other people get other gifts. That's all in the outworking of the Spirit. But once you say yes to Jesus, He comes to live inside of you. He dwells there forever. And then really it's this relationship of you following Him of to the degree to which you yield to that indwelling Spirit and there is an, I'm not, I'm not doing a whole teaching on gifts. I'm more so talking, what I want to end on is this idea of cultivating, being led by the Spirit inwardly. That's where we're going to go with it. But I want to look at some scripture. Just know that you have the full measure of the Spirit of the living God in you. In fact, Pentecost is less about a single gift. You know, good charismatics really like to make Pentecost all about tongues. And if you're not praying in tongues, then you didn't get baptized in the Spirit because you don't have the baptism of the Spirit with the evidence of praying in the tongues. And it's like, I hear that, and it, sound, it sounds militant as if it's like dogmatic, you know. Now, I believe in praying in tongues. I, I think it's praying with your spirit in an unknown language. I do it all the time. I hope that you do it all the time. But I'm not worried if you don't. I think it would be good for you. And it's this power that you're not stepping into, but it doesn't mean you're less of a Christian or you lack anything from God. I think, here's, here's my opinion. I think the Spirit of God resting upon each of the disciples. See, you have, let me, can I set the stage here just for a minute? You had what was now called Pentecost. You had this 50-day feast. They were celebrating the harvest. It was always in early summer. And the setting was this. It was a city. It, it was in Jerusalem. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to set this stage first. God had called, told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit was poured out. But why? I think it had a lot to do with, at that time, that particular feast, Jews from all over the known world would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So if you think back to the original promise that God made through Abraham, and that is your offspring will be a holy nation, a nation of priests, that are a blessing to the entire world, and, and you walking in my ways and experiencing my blessing will cause the world to come to you to know my ways. That's what God's trying to do, trying to re, uh, make a healthy, whole family to teach the world the ways of God. So all throughout Jewish history, you saw God instating a tabernacle or a temple so that he could dwell among them. That's what he told Moses. He said, go get my people so that I may dwell among them. It's what God wants. He wants to live with us and not just with us, now in us. But you see the tabernacle, which was the temporary. They would pack it up and they'd move it around. The Spirit of God would come down and it was always a flame. And the flame represented the presence of God with the people. Then in the temple, when the temple was dedicated, the temple, the, the presence of God came down so strongly that at the dedication of the temple, the, the fixed structure, the people fell. They couldn't stand because of the presence of God. So the flame coming down and resting upon the tabernacle or the temple always represented, these are my people, this is my family, I'm making covenant with these people. And then you see all of Israel all from all the tribes coming and descending back upon Jerusalem. And what do you see? You see the Spirit of the living God coming out of heaven and resting on the people. And it did manifest the gift of speaking in unknown tongues. But to me, that's what it's about. It's about the presence of God now dwelling in His new temple, right. which is who? 
Again, it's a who, not a what, right? So that puts us in this position here. Let me see. Don't you know? Do you not know? Say, don't you know? I mean, come on. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. To me, this is what Pentecost is about. It's a new covenant. It's a new temple. It's God resting not just in his people, but on his people. And the gift is just a fruit of that indwelling that's powerful and should be used, but it's not just about that. It's about acknowledging there's a new way here. God lives in his people now, no longer in a building behind a veil like you referenced this morning. He lives in me. That's what Pentecost is. God stamping his people with that seal of approval of righteousness through Christ. Now you are cleansed to the point where you can be inhabited by the spirit of the living God and you won't die because you've been made holy inwardly to, inhab- to, to, to uh, uh, house the spirit of God. Amen? So let, let's look at just a couple of passages about what it is. In Matthew 3.11, uh, this is the John the Baptist. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the next verse, he explains what fire is. Fire has to do with the cleansing. It has to do with enacting the judgment within you that Jesus paid for. So in other words, you don't receive the judgment. You receive the benefit of Christ having been judged for you in that your sin is removed from you. That's what the fire does. The fire is not another level of power. You know, we want the fire. I don't know that you want the fire. Every time the fire showed up, and people died. But what the fire did is it cleansed you. It burned out that sin root of you, right? So now you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. And then, John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, this is Jesus, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. To be with you forever. I got two, one more. To be with you forever. Thank you. Verse 17, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you do know him. Say, I know God. For he abides with you and will be in you. Listen, you hear God better than you think that you do because you have been redesigned to echo his voice. I mean, he gave you this new heart that is dialed into the frequency of his voice always. You always. God's always speaking to you. There's books out there, When God is Silent. Burn it, because because he's never silent. What's that? Yeah, I mean, you know, and I'm not trying, I'm just trying to make a joke. I'm serious. God's not silent. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you, you, you're just not hearing him, but you can. And you hear him better than you think that you do. I pro- you follow God more accidentally than you do on purpose. When you're not thinking about it, when you're just aware of his ways and his wisdom and just out of this sense of identity, knowing who you are in Christ and you make these decisions, that is the will of God being expressed through you. 
It's when you're sitting down trying to calculate, measuring why it's not happening in your life based on external circumstances that you're, you're tuning into a different frequency than what you are regularly hearing inwardly. He's always speaking, and you hear him. You've been hardwired to hear him. So he, this is Jesus again. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He's doing that right now. How many of you need solutions, answers, direction, wisdom? In this moment, right now, the Holy Spirit is teaching you. And I don't mean me. I mean the Holy Spirit in you is speaking to you, shaping you, giving you ideas to help you become more consistent in your thinking in line with His ways and how He would lead you. And the more you know who you are in Him the more you will be confident to just act out on those desires rather than questioning everything that comes across your mind. Yeah. Is it the will of God? Is it the will? You know, it's like, nah, nah. nobody can answer those questions for you. But he says, my sheep know my voice. The more that you know you're a sheep, the more you'll be confident that you're following him because you're hearing his voice. I want you to be confident of who you are in Christ, that God's in you and that he's leading you. This is where we're going. I want to end with a little bit of practical, then we'll worship. So when he had said this, he breathed. Now this, okay, so this is after the resurrection. This is Jesus. You know, you probably know this, but it's just so interesting to me that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared and taught for 40 days. I mean, over a month, Jesus was hanging out. They probably thought, well, this is just the way it's going to be. He's here now. The kingdom is going to begin to be established and increased, and here's Jesus with us. Isn't that amazing? For 40 days. So, but at that 40th day, so Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection or, or, or after the crucifixion. And so when you put it all together, he was in the grave for three days, he was with them for 40 days. That's 43 days. To get to 50, you got seven days. Jesus spoke to them, and he said, go wait in Jerusalem. They waited only about a week. It wasn't really even that long that they were waiting for him. So this idea of tarrying on the Holy Spirit, it's, it, I get excited, and I start jumping around here. All right, so this is Jesus post-resurrection. He's with the disciples. This is specifically with the disciples, and he said this, uh, and when he said this, he breathed on them, and he said unto them, receive the Holy Ghost, or receive the Holy Spirit. This is the disciples, whom later are in the upper room, and then the Spirit descends upon them. So, personally, I think this is when they got born again, the disciples. Now, there were still some mechanics of how the Holy Spirit would work once the Spirit was poured out from then forward. The disciples are in a very unique situation. A lot of people will build a doctrine based on the disciples' experience that you get born again, but you don't get the baptism of the Spirit till later. Or you get born again, but the Spirit doesn't descend upon you until later. It's a very unique experience for these people, and I'll, and I'll show you. Let's just keep going. So Jesus asked them to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit came upon them, Acts 1.8. You know, Jesus is in the beginning of Acts 1, of Acts. I don't know if you realize that. Acts is kind of a continuation of Luke. So it's almost as if you just read them as one giant book. So, but you will, this is Jesus, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, he's speaking to people who he had breathed upon and said, receive the Spirit. 
These are the same people. He's telling them, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Then we jump to Acts 2, verse 1. And during the arriving of the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came out of heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, in that moment, imagine the temple or the, the tabernacle being dedicated or the temple being dedicated where God had cut covenant. He would called his covenant people to build a dwelling place for him so that he could descend and his his resonant spirit on that place signified these are my people and then and then that presence would also be on the ark of the covenant the box right and they would carry the ark around but the presence would still rest upon the ark and, and you know so the the the, pre, the flame resting upon this place coming to them resting upon them in the symbol of tongues of un, you know angels or unknown language this is a dedication of the new temple this is what's happening. God is establishing his dwelling place in the earth, and it's in his people. I think that's incredible. And there appeared to them dividing tongues or different tongues as a fire sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, had he breathed on them and they received the Spirit? Yeah. Is this when they receive the Spirit? No. Oh. Yeah. Well, it depends on who you're at. Trick question, right? <laughs> he breathed on them and he said, receive the Spirit. But that was in 120 people. But the disciples were still sitting there too. Yep. So they were all filled. So I'm making a distinction between receiving the Spirit, baptism of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. We'll get, we'll get there. Hang on. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them the utter to utter forth. Now, the presence of God again was establishing His new temple. Let's keep going here. Um, so they were filled with the Spirit. Is being filled with the Spirit the one single time that you get baptized with the Spirit? It can't be because later on in Acts 4.8, it says of Peter... Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, dot, dot, dot. Point being, Peter got breathed upon by Jesus to receive the Spirit. He got baptized with the Spirit later on in the upper room, and it says the Spirit came upon him, and he was filled with the Spirit in that moment. And then later on, as he's ministering, it says again, Peter filled with the Spirit. So in Acts 4.8, when Peter was filled with the Spirit, is that when he received the Spirit? I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm trying to simplify this all down to one thing. When you say yes to God, when you say yes to Jesus, you put your faith in the fact that Christ died for you and he was resurrected for you to pay your penalty, what happens is the enacting of the new covenant enforces within you, God gives you a new heart, he burns that root of sin out of you, and he puts his spirit in you. Forever, it says, right? Forever, his spirit is in you. Now, then the baptism of the spirit is not when you're trying to get the spirit in you. It's when the spirit comes upon you. In church tradition, you look at the first 300 years probably of church history, 
Um, it was very common and almost always happened that if, as soon as someone got born again, they experienced the baptism of the Spirit and began to pray in other tongues. Today, you might get somebody born again, but they might not yield to that putting upon of the Holy Spirit that comes to take up residence within them until a year, five years, 20 years later. You hear people all the time, well, I was raised in this denomination, and then I got the baptism of the Spirit 20 years later. And, and, and it's presented as if it's a, a, you receive something else from God. But I just don't think that's consistent. I think you might not know that you can yield to the indwelling power of God to be endued with power from then on once you have the Spirit of God. Now, it would be great if, and, and, and again, I, don't, I also don't think we necessarily need to stick to this template of, let's get you born again, let's get you baptized in the Spirit, let's get you praying in tongues. It's like, let's just help people understand that when you say yes to Jesus, you get it all. And you can, in that moment, yield. it's like what Lauren was doing, you know. I, I think what you were doing was, fa- was facilitating being filled with the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is in you, but you were stirring up that faith. She was stirring up by speaking it out. And had she chosen, she might have begun to speak in other tongues in that moment and would have experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. So what is that? What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? It's like this, and this is Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, probably most of y'all agree with this. You get born again, you get all of God. But you can. there are times where you yield to Him and you become more empowered in those moments than others. Or there are times where you feel like, I'm about to pray for this person, and there is no way they are not getting healed, and then you see them get healed. You ever had those moments where like that gift of faith rises up inside of you and it's like there's no room to even question or doubt any of this in this moment right now. And I'm not saying that at your will, you get to choose when you're going to heal and who you're going to heal and how that's going to happen because Jesus didn't even do it that way. You know, Jesus walked past people for years that were sick or didn't go and specifically seek out people, but everybody that came to him received, right? Amen. Because this is what we want. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to live within this promise. It's, and it's amazing. This is Jesus saying, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these, because I go to my Father. Now, the greater works is probably just means more. But there's a whole, you know, people debate about this. It's not necessarily that you're going to do something more powerful or greater than what Jesus did. It's an indication in the original language. It's, just, it's a volume thing. We're just going to do more because he's like, I'm leaving. I've been here for three years. You guys are going to be here for 50 or 60 or 70. Y'all got more time to do more things. It really is kind of what he's saying here. But how do we live within this? How do we live within that power? You want to know? I don't know. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit knows, right? I mean, I'm just painting a picture up here. And then it's up to you to get with God. Now, I have some suggestions, you know, because this is where we all want to live. We all want to live where we're displaying consistently this, the gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, increased faith or the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, the gift of miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, uh, different tongues and interpretation of tongues. How many of you have experienced all of those gifts ever in your life? You know, I've seen them all at different times. 
Now, let me suggest this, and this is what I'm bringing it down to, because this is not a seminar of how to do the gifts. They work by faith. You believe, they come to pass. You go and you look at the model of Jesus of how he lived in this life. There's two times where Jesus, where people didn't experience what Jesus was trying to give them or what Jesus said could happen. One, he went to his hometown and they couldn't receive from him because they looked at him as a person. They didn't recognize who he was and put faith that he had the power to do that which he was doing in others in every other city. So they limited what they could receive from him based on minimizing who he was, questioning who he was. We do it all the time. Did God really say? The other time is the disciples were out, found, came across a, a boy that was flopping around in the fire. They tried to cast the, the demon out of the boy. They couldn't. The, the father brought the boy to Jesus. He cast it out. And then the disciples said, well, why couldn't we do it? He said, your unbelief. This kind of unbelief comes out by prayer and fasting. He didn't say this kind of demon, you got to go fast and pray to get more power over that kind of demon. It's, it's about the unbelief in the heart. And so all of that to bring us down to what we talked about last week in James 1, if any of you lack wisdom, ask. But don't ask wavering. Wavering means to make a discernment or to make a judgment or to make a distinction or to separate when you're asking, don't have in your mind this unstableness of, well, what's plan B? In other words, you're going to God and you're praying, but yet plan B's in your back pocket. It's like, oh, wait, oh we're going to pray. It's come to praying. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you that the impossible happens. Nope, didn't happen. Let me go over here and do this. I mean, that's what we do, most of us, right? I do it sometimes. I mean, we all do it. Now, here's what I want to say. This is the practical aspect. How many of you want to see the, the gifts operate through your own hands, through your own mouth, in your own life? Of course we do. How do we refine that? How do we tune into being conduits and letting that flow through us? May I make a suggestion? I suggest we focus on cultivating the fruits of the Spirit, which will teach you the voice to follow and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Because every day you have an opportunity to walk in love, to choose joy. Think about this. You struggle with depression. You struggle with anxiety. Joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You begin to master your mind, master the inner domain of choosing joy over your circumstances. Praying for somebody else is easy after that. Think about it. That's the hard part. Y'all don't like this one. I can tell y'all are looking at me like, well, I thought you were going to show me how to do miracles. Are you telling me now i got to choose joy? I see it on your face. It's like, well, I don't know. Peace. Say peace. Do you know how to find that place of peace in the midst of any circumstance? Then walking and praying for others is easy after that. Patience. Kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness. Don't worry, I'm not going to skip self-control. <laughs> you want to see the 
gifts flow through you, become proficient at experiencing the fruit of that same spirit. And I'm not just talking about being a better person and then you get more power. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about refining inwardly, being yielded to the spirit. If you can make it a discipline in your life and a practice in your life to choose joy in spite of what you're going through, then it's easier to stand in front of someone and say, I know what it's like to be able to tap into the, the, the resident power of God in me personally. Of course you can experience this too, right? Because you have confidence inwardly. But if you're afraid or confused or you're in debt or you're riddled with anxiety and you're questioning, but you want to see the power... It just doesn't, I mean, am I I being too logical with it? And I'm not saying you got to get right for the power to work. It's it's like pipes. You know, it's like the the Spirit's trying to flow, but there's a misalignment, and it's in our heart, it's in our mind, it's in our thoughts. You're qualified. You have the Spirit of God within you. All the promises are yes and amen. He told you, go into the world and pray Cast out devils, raise the dead, heal the sick, forgive people. He told you to do that. Of course that's what he expects us. Why isn't it working? It's on our end of the equation, not his end of the equation. And may I suggest, let's fine-tune the yielding to of the Spirit working through us by choosing the fruit daily. So when you go out into your life, when you wake up tomorrow, maybe even later today, you got an opportunity Am I going to be stingy in this situation or am I going to be generous in this? Am I going to be rude and short and selfish or am I going to be kind? Am I going to be impatient? Am I going to honk my horn, judge that person, or am I going to be patient? Am I facing this opportunity for sin? Am I going to exercise in self-control? It's not your power that does all these. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the engaging, the feasting upon the Spirit that is within you, stirring up that gift. And sometimes you do got to stand up and talk. Talk yourself into faith. It's not that you're talking yourself into believing something that's not true. It's true. You're just not believing it right now. And that's your fault. Not his. Amen? The fruit. I just feel like yielding consistently, intentionally yielding to the fruits of the Spirit will teach you how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Because it's first you experiencing and then living out of the overflow. Can you go and pray for somebody and they get healed? Even if in your mind you're sitting there going, I don't think this is going to work. Of course. I mean, history is, church history is riddled with drunks, whores, substance abusers having incredibly powerful healing ministries. Why? Because they had faith that that stuff worked. And then they'd step off the stage and live like demons. It, you know, God's not a respecter of persons. It's not about you getting cleaned up inwardly and then it'll work. But I want it to be an overflow, a fruit. I want it to be a logical expectation to see the power of God work because you have been so transformed inwardly that you're walking in this. You're just patient and kind and full of faith, not afraid. You want to pray for others? Learn how to deal with fear in your mind and in your heart. Learn how to feast on that indwelling presence of God to the point 
that that Holy Ghost balloon inside of you raises you above those circumstances, right? I mean, it's like we're Holy Ghost hot air balloons <laughs> floating around. The world can't touch me. It's better up here. It's pretty up here. Amen? Amen. You guys come on back up if you would. So, you know, during this worship, I don't know what they're going to do. You guys can decide if you want to play a song or just drift around a little bit. Well, yeah, see, I didn't mean to say that. Drift around. There we go. Hot air balloon, drift around. Are you, are you encouraged? Do you feel better than when you came in here? You know, I want you to be confident in God, in you, and I want you to be confident that you in God can experience more than what you're presently experiencing. Not just so that you'll be happy, but so that God is glorified in your life. God's glorified when you experience peace and joy and rise above that circumstance. When other people look at you and they're like, that doesn't make any sense. Don't you care? Don't you care? It's like, well, yeah, I care, but I'm just not going to get down and wallow in it like you are. There's a different reality. There's a different reality that I want to tap into and live from. And it's greater than any of this junk. And it's why we come to church, so that we can encourage each other and build each other up and stir up faith in each other, right? Uh, you know, if you come and you leave feeling worse about yourself, feeling like it's harder to be a Christian, man, that just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm not just trying to preach you a feel-good message. I'm trying to preach you into faith so that you walk out of here expectant. Amen? Amen. Are y'all ready? Yes. Father, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to gather. We acknowledge that you live inside of us. Just say, I am the temple of God. The spirit of the living God dwells within me. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. And I yield to all of his power within me. Holy Spirit, rest upon me in power and strength to live this life, to overcome sin and to operate in your gifts to represent your will. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.